Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Today's Coach and Coordinator podcast is one from the archives from year one of the podcast in which I did a series with Brian Kite where we talked about different aspects of leadership and culture. And in this one, we focus on humility. And we did this one in week 11, at least of the high school season in 2017. And it certainly applies more than ever today. And we're going to focus on humility being a characteristic that all leaders need. So as you continue to Go through your season. If you're in high school, it's the playoffs. You're getting deeper as you're going. If you are in the college season, depending on your level, you're heading towards your playoffs. So there's a lot at play, and being humble is an important part, whether you are doing very well or whether you haven't hit your goals or got to where you wanted to be. That humility is going to be important in how you would approach your people whether that's the people within your program, your players, your coaches, or the people outside of your program, all the different stakeholders. So here's a great one with BK on humility. I'm joined by my guest host, Brian Kite. Brian, it's uh, great to have you here as always. Look forward to this every week and really especially looking forward to today. Well, BK, our topic today is humility, and uh, as as I had reflected on some of the things we've talked about, uh, both in our initial podcast and then you know the the past ten weeks, uh, I'm surprised this isn't a topic that uh, that hasn't really come up yet because humility, as as I look at it, is so important for that piece we talked about. You know, I think in one of our initial podcasts, the the connection that you know if if your leader. Um, or you as a leader are not always coming from a place of humility and, and realizing uh, your role in uh, helping other people you know, become their best by being able to listen and connect, I think you miss out on a lot. It's such an important component of the leadership uh, role that you have. You know, it is, and it's, it's something that in the, in the sports world and in football gets talked about a lot. Unfortunately, it gets talked about more than it gets executed, which is uh, probably going to be a big part of our conversation today. And we've, you know, we've mentioned it one time. I, I think maybe on the on the I forget what episode it was, but when we're talking about threats to your culture or threats from the outside, you know, we we made the point that you have to open yourself up to building relationships outside of your program and not insulate yourself, yes. you know, whether that's building relationships with community or parents or boosters or, you know, on, on the topic of safety in the game, you, you, you got to go out and build relationships with people who are writing articles and people who might otherwise be critical of the sport. And you need to build those relationships because if you don't and you insulate yourself, you're going to get attacked by those groups and, or you won't have credibility with them if they, 
you know, maybe disagree with you on a point. And so humility is something that is required to do that. And I think that's probably as close as we've come to the topic so far. Right. right. But definitely something I'm interested in, you know, rolling up our sleeves and, and seeing where this goes here for the next half hour. Well, this past weekend, um, Iowa State vaulted themselves to number uh, 14 in the country, jumped 11 spots because they beat uh, another highly ranked opponent. They had beat Oklahoma a few weeks back. Now they beat TCU. And uh, I've had the, the fortune of, of having um, Coach Golish, who's a recruiting coordinator on the podcast, and I, and I have uh, met and I know Matt Campbell just through – uh, his time at Toledo and some work they did with us while I was at Baldwin Wallace University. And I think one of the biggest things that is helping them with their success, if you look at Coach Campbell, he's been able to keep all his guys together. And he's a very demanding yeah. guy. He's very detailed. But I know at the same time, like he has that humility about him that those guys really want to work for him. And I mean, he certainly could, uh, and, and, you know, you look at the football world, you look at coaches in general, it's all type A personalities for the most part, a lot of ego. You know, you sit down in a, in a meeting room, there's always ego there. And so sometimes it is hard to um, to pull back and be humble and, and really understand what your people need as well. But when you talk to that coaching staff and you look, they've, they've followed him along and he's done a great job of keeping those guys together. And I, I would attribute that to this idea, to this uh, characteristic of humility. It's funny. I just happened to be – I don't know Matt Campbell, the, the head coach down there. I, I Somewhat like you, I, I'm, I've sort of been all around, um, you know, particularly because I was in Ohio for 15 years. I, I've been all around. I, I've, I've spoken with uh, the guy who took over for him um, at, at Toledo a few times. Uh, we were contemporaries in, in Division Three. He was a Mount Union guy while I was a Worcester guy. But I, I happen to be – I have great respect for what Coach Campbell did at Toledo, what he is doing at Iowa State. I have a, a deep appreciation for it. And I, I, I first and foremost would be remiss if I did not point to the power of culture change. And in today's world where culture has become a popular phrase, and yet still 99% of culture is misunderstood – you have to point no further than Iowa State University football team. When you can change a culture, you change people's behavior. And when you change people's behavior, you change results. Like make sure you understand that flow. When you can change a culture, you can change behavior, which is the whole purpose of culture, to change behavior or not just to change behavior, but to produce behavior that wins. It's a big misinterpretation in culture. And in case you are listening to this episode and it's the first time you've ever heard me talk about culture, the purpose of culture is to drive behavior that wins, period. That's it. So I, I, I appreciate what he's doing down there because too few coaches make the linkage, the inseparable linkage, that culture and behavior and wins are two sides of the exact same coin. So he's going down there and saying, look, we have to change the culture if we're going to try to win here. Not because I need you to believe, because I need you to behave. I need you to do what's required. I need you to stop doing the things that lose, and then need it at this quality and this standard. So I just happened to so, – so one, I just, just appreciate anybody who does that at an elite level, and that's what he is doing because obviously where he's bringing Iowa State from 
you know, he's doing it at elite because they, they weren't starting with the best athletes in the country. But number two is I actually saw, did you see his post-game speech? Yes, I did. Did you, did you see it? I just happened to see it. Um, I think maybe it was on, on a, a Instagram feed or Twitter feed. And, I, you know, I think I was, maybe I was on my Instagram, you know, early this morning, kind of just seeing what was happening from the weekend. And I saw his speech and I appreciate what he said. I, I've never heard it with this exact phrase, but you're talking about all of this work. And here's what I heard him say. I heard him say, first, fall in love with the process. And if you love the process, the process will love you back. And then he said, I think the most important thing that I heard him say in that, he said, but, but you never know when the process is going to love you back. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. You got to love the process and the process will love you back, but you never know when the process is going to love you back. And it's true. Yes, it's it is. true. In, it, 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 with, with all of this stuff going on, and then it aligns with a few of the messages that I want to share today about humility, that falling in love with the process is one thing. But, and, and I, you know what, I will, I'll, I'll have a message for adults because he was talking about you know, our culture today, and he was talking about young guys and instant gratification. And I personally believe too much attention gets spread to young people about instant gratification, and maybe a – maybe – Maybe you and I will have to talk about millennials or, you know, how to deal with young people as an entire five episode series. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll save it for the off season when I can, you know, when I can get a, convince you guys to let me have a three hour time slot here. But, (laughs) (laughs) but I want to, I want to talk to adults with instant gratification because as much as I'm listening to Matt Campbell talk about fall in love with the process, love the process, the process will love you back, but you don't know when. I think adults need to hear that. I know why kids struggle with it. I know why 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 15-year-olds, I know why they struggle with it. I want to know why you're 40 and you're still not in love with the process and you still want guarantees and you're still struggling with instant gratification at 40. That's what I want to know. I want to know why the the 45-year-old head coach is not committing himself over a three-year time period to, to learning how to become an elite, elite leader of men and putting himself on a three-year journey to build culture, to grow leaders, and to build a great staff and isn't falling in love with the process over that three-year time period, but is instead paying attention to the shorter, more, more uh, um, uh, short-term gains, wins, losses, instant gratification of play calls and pressure from the outside. That's what I want to know because we cannot expect our young people to do it. If we're not doing it first, if we're not modeling it, if we're not demonstrating it, if we're not surrounding them with an experience of what it looks like to see a guy falling in love with the process and waiting for that process to love him back when he's good enough. So I, I think coaches need to hear that as much as anything else. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a dirty little trick that we play on ourselves sometimes. If we listen to the messages that we send to our kids, they're typically messages that we probably need to open up our heads and our hearts to hearing ourselves first. We have to live them for sure. I mean, I think coaches do a good job of 
of understanding the surface level things, what you do, especially if you take over, you know, again, looking at Iowa State, taking over a program like that. You know, Coach Campbell basically has had a track record of, of being able to do that at the, at the places that he's been. Um, and and then, you know, turning things around to a high level. I mean, to me, it's no surprise. He's a guy who, when you watch that staff, you know, and, and I've had a chance to interact with that staff and watch him work camps, for example, uh, with kids. I mean, just all kinds of energy coming from those guys. And it's not a show. They They truthfully believe it. They live it. They're not just you know, checking off boxes and taking steps because they think, well, this is what you have to do. I mean, they truthfully embrace the process. And I think that's where a lot of coaches fall is they, they understand there is a process, um, but they're not patient enough to stick with it. You know, there are those pressures. I mean, they're inherent in this game. I think everybody has to face those kinds of things. Uh, there are those pressures from name the group, uh, there's there's going to be all kinds of groups putting different pressure on you. It takes a lot of discipline. Um, you know, when we talk about you know a disciplined reaction, you know, above the line behavior to get it done. It does. And Mary, maybe this is a, maybe this is a great spot to start digging into the specifics of humility, because I would say that I don't know. Maybe if you if you were to whittle down the five. But one, five of the core principles that the sport of football has revolved around since the game has been introduced. You know, I, I think humility would probably be one of those five. It would be on the Mount Rushmore, uh, uh, although I think there's only four faces on Mount Rushmore. It would be it would be one of the core pillars of of this sport of you know teaching you humility. And unfortunately, what happens with things like that, things like teamwork things like humility, things like um, uh, fighting through adversity, different things like that that have been phrases, sayings, principles that have been talked about a lot is we grow tired of hearing them long before we've gotten good at them. Does that make sense? Yes. So humility, I think, falls into that category. And you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I could, I could make a case that it, it, it's only increased or, or I should say humility has decreased and the challenge of it has increased um, in the ESPN era and then the Twitter era and the Instagram era, but it would all be a lie. I mean, that, that would all be excuses that we would make for things that have always been qualities of human beings. Just read any text that's older than 100 years or 500 years or a thousand years. And they didn't have the internet or Instagram and humility was always a problem. Always. It was always a fight. It's built in to human DNA to, you know, serve the ego that has been around for a really long time. So here's what I'd like to introduce Keith. I'd like to introduce a, a new way of thinking about and talking about and then evaluating humility. And I'd like to add another word in front of it. And here's the first, here's the phrase I'd like to introduce functional humility, because there's a difference between conceptual humility and functional humility, conceptual humility, football coaches, football teams, and the sport of football has down. That's where you talk about humility. That's where you do a good speech on humility. That's where you have a nice Instagram post on humility. That's where that's where the, the things you say in front of parents and boosters and staff, that's, 
that, that, that talk about it, humility, always around. And, and football does fine with that. We need no more of that. Where the sport is lacking is in functional humility. Now, what's functional humility? That is, it's humility in action. Humility that I can watch and see and observe. Conceptual humility says, yeah, I know I'm not the best at managing my emotions. But then it never actually tries to get better at them and makes excuses when things don't go well and you mismanage your emotions. Or just acknowledges, oh, yeah, I mismanaged my emotions in that game and then never gets any better. Functional humility says, I'm not good enough at that and I need to be better because if I'm not good enough at that, it's going to damage me or this team or our ability to win when it really counts. And then it does the work to get better. Conceptual humility just talks about it. Functional humility does something about it. Now, what to do about it, you know, there's a lot of different options. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But the difference between the concept of humility and the concrete humility required, it's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. And maybe just today because press conferences are out there a lot, and coaches are, are front-facing media you know, I think we just see it more often and, and or we ask coaches to talk about it more often. And so coaches will trot out a lot of the lines, right? They'll, they'll say a lot of the things. But then behind closed doors or when you watch the actions, you just see a lot less functional humility and you see a lot more conceptual humility. So that's the first thing I would ask everyone listening to evaluate is to what extent is humility a concept and to what extent is humility a concrete practice in your life and in your coaching and in your relationships, because that that's the real question for all of us is how concrete am I making it and how functional of a skill is humility for me as a coach and as a person. Yeah. One of the things I think of Brian, when you say that function, humility, functional humility is, um, you know, uh, I I've seen it. Um, I've probably done it in my career is, uh, the need to be right all the time kind of gets in the way of that functional yeah. functional humility. Uh, you know, yeah. in, as a leader, uh, obviously, you want to make the right decisions. You want to do that. But I think sometimes it, it closes you off to thinking that you have the only way. And uh, the fact of the matter is that, you know, that's why you have, you know, you look at especially something like being a football coach. You have these big football staffs. You certainly uh, aren't going to be right all the time. And, and that's why you brought all these people in. Uh, and, and to be a part of your staff is that they have something to offer. Right. So let, let's, let's take that and let's, let's now let's, let's talk about some examples, right? Let's, let's talk about five things and they're, they're somewhat related, but let's talk about five things and they're directly, directly connected to what you just talked about. What requires humility? Well, let's just talk five things. Number one, hearing direct feedback that requires humility. Number two, improving. Number three, trying anything new or unfamiliar or uncomfortable. Number four, re-evaluating a strength and identifying ways to evolve it or improve on it. Or number five, considering a new or outside idea or opinion. Those five things. If you have conceptual humility, conceptual humility says, yeah, you know, I, I have an open door policy. And then number one, hearing direct feedback. Somebody comes to you, gives you direct feedback, and immediately it's excuse making. Immediately, it's blaming them for why they're not good enough. Immediately, it's defending your action. 
And so somebody gives you direct feedback and the ego ratchets up, the humility comes down. And while you talk a big humility game, when the opportunity to practice it and hear that direct feedback and embrace it and acknowledge it completely, it shows up and there's a little bit more defensiveness than there is acceptance and ownership. So if you just look at those five things, hearing feedback, improving, trying new things, reevaluating a strength or considering a new or outside idea or opinion. Those are five ways right off the bat that you can practice that right away. And if you can functionally get that into your skill set, I mean, the, the opportunities to improve or the opportunities to get better over the course of time and for that process to start loving you back are significant. And, I would, and I'll, I'll tell this because I'll, I'll say this additional thing, because for those coaches listening who immediately, and I, you and I talk about it a lot on these episodes, about how much noise there can be as a head coach and where do you draw the line. Hearing feedback, improving, trying new things, reevaluating strengths and considering new ideas does not mean you have to agree with everything. Right. It doesn't mean you have to do everything. It doesn't mean accepting that other people are right. But a lack of humility will stop you from even hearing it. Humility can hear things, take them in, find the 80% that you disagree with but still take it in that allows you to hear that 20% to improve upon. That 20% to improve upon. And, and, and I'll go back to something we talked about in an episode before. And now here we're in, we're in week 11. And so those of you that have been with us on this leadership journey for the last 11 weeks, this is a good moment. I, I, I talked about something I, I maybe week five, and we, we discussed what are we not talking about that we need to be talking about? Or, or specifically spoken to you as a listener, what conversations are not being had in your program that need to be had because people are unwilling to share them with you because your lack of humility in a particular area has shut it down where people are not willing to talk with you about something because you've not been open to listening to it. And maybe 90% of what they have to say, you're already right on. But because they can't talk to you about it, there's 10% that's really important of a skill that is not quite good enough or a message you really need to hear that you can't hear because no one is saying it to you because a lack of humility is getting in the way. That's important. And it's a skill set to be able to hear a conversation where 80 or 90% of it isn't that helpful, but 10 or 20% is. And to be able to hear all of that as a coach identify that really important piece and then have the humility to say, yeah, this, 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 and this, I disagree with you on, and I'm going to stay the course that man, those two things you just said in there, man, you are absolutely right. I am absolutely not good enough. I absolutely did not know that until you just told me, I am so glad you told me those things. Thank you. I'm going to go get better. I'm going to go work on that in the off season. I'm going to make that a skill and a strength of mine because it hasn't been for the first eight or nine years of my career, whatever it happens to be. You've got to be able to hear the seven or eight things that maybe you disagree with in order to hear those one or two things that could be the game changers. Because I, I, I can tell you in my life, I am not good enough. I am not good enough at acknowledging and knowing all the things that I need to see about myself as a husband, a dad, a CEO, or a, 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 you know, a, a provider to my clients. 
And so when my clients are sharing feedback or my dad is sharing feedback about how things go or, or my team is sharing feedback with me, I'm not good enough to, to blanket push it all away or accept it all in or know what is important and what is not. I need to have the openness to hear and listen to all of that stuff and then use my wisdom, use my intelligence, use my experience, use my, use my thought process to start filtering some of those things. But man, my ego, it'll block it out if I start to hear a few things I don't like right from the beginning and it could shut down the most important things that I need to hear in my life. And that's a hard thing to do, Keith. It's a yep. really hard thing to do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're at a time right now, Brian, that uh, coaches need to be able to do that, um, whether that's the head coach, you know, uh, going into a meeting with his athletic director or some of those assistants going in with the head coach. Um, you know, obviously this time of year is is a point where you have to be open to hearing some of those things in, in order to improve. And obviously, you know, a, a key component of that is is being humble enough to do it. And I think the other side of humility, right, is you have to have the humility to suggest your approaches that you'd like and then acknowledge that, hey, maybe it's not the best approach. You know, if you're, if you're an assistant coach, you know, humility is not just about acknowledging what you're, you're not good at. First of all, the, the, <laughs> the, it's a really helpful frame of mind for me to acknowledge that I don't know that I'm the best in the world at anything. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really helpful approach if you think about it. I don't know that I'm the best in the world at any skill. Now, I think I'm pretty damn good at, uh, at, at plenty of things, and I'm also not real good at plenty of things. But it's helpful to remember that I'm not the best in the world at anything. So there's room. There's room to grow. So if anybody wants to point out a gap or a weakness of mine, man, my hand is the first one up, and I got a long journey ahead of me for me to get as good as I want to be at the areas that are important. The other side of humility is – when you're maybe not the one in charge or you are in a different place in life and you're, you're trying to become better is, you know, recognize that if you're an assistant coach, you're going to have a lot of ideas and it's really easy to get caught in the position as an assistant coach or a coordinator of thinking that, that, you know, and, and, you know, just saying, man, if the head coach would just do this, or if my boss would just do that, whatever it is. And I think humility demands that we take a step back and we look at other people and we say, there's a bunch of stuff going on in their life that I don't understand. Yep. There's a bunch of things in their role as head coach that I don't have to deal with in my role as wide receivers coach or coordinator. And there's, there's probably things that they're taking into account that I'm not even aware of. I think humility demands that we take that perspective. You know, when I look at my wife and, and I think about, you know, we, we think we know people that we live with so, and we do, we know them intimately. We think we know them so well. We think we understand their experience and it's similar to ours. The reality is my wife has a whole world I don't understand. And I don't mean that humorously. I mean, I, there's a humorous side to that, obviously, <laughs> but I'm talking about the serious side of it. There's a whole experience that my wife has of being in our house, being married to me, being a mom to our son, that I have no clue what that's like because she's a person before she was ever my wife. She's a human before she was ever our son's mom. And that's personal to her. And there's a whole bunch of things that humility demands when I interact with my wife. I have to account for that part of her that I'll never really know the way she knows. And I've got to, I've got to embrace that. No matter how intense my emotions get or no matter how much uh, – how irritated I get with her because of something, whether it was something that mattered or something that didn't matter, 
By the way, what, what direction do you put forks in the dishwasher, up or down? Uh, I put the, the like handle side down so that the fork is sticking up, yeah. That's how I do it. Okay, well, <laughs> okay, well, you, like my wife, you two are both savages in terms of how you put, <laughs> you know, dishware in the dishwasher. So for years, I, by the way, years I tried to convince my wife to put the fork side down so you didn't touch the fork and it didn't poke you or knives. And then finally, after years of effort, she finally, you know, compromised and said she was going to put them down. I told this story, you know, jokingly about managing my emotions with, you know, really important household issues like what direction the forks go in the dishwasher. <laughs> and, uh, and a, 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 a facilities worker at a school district came up and, and he said he runs the cafeteria and ran a bunch of great restaurants. And he said, hey, BK, he said, you know, his name is Dan. He goes, BK, I, I appreciate that whole story, but I want to make sure you know um, your wife is right. If you want the forks to be clean, you put them up. And also all the, the nasty stuff goes down and gets into the bottom of those things. If you ever have the forks down in a restaurant, the, you know, the, the uh, city will come and downgrade your, your right? And I was like, I just got done with this big presentation, this long thing. And I was like, thank you, Dan. I really appreciate that, Dan. <laughs> so so now it's taken me a couple more years to get her back, you know, putting forks up, uh, apparently, which is the proper way. <laughs> but <laughs> the, the point is, right, whether, whether, you're, whether you're talking about, you know, silly stuff like, you know, the forks or the blinds or, you know, how towels get folded, whatever the issues are, trash in the house, whatever, or whether you're dealing with the serious stuff, whether you're married or single whether you're, you're a head coach or an assistant coach, people have different, let me put it, let's, let's go even further. Okay. Let's go even further because I'm not an arbitrator of, of things happening in America right now, but I, I do have a skill set that we teach and I think it, I know it applies and I, I would like people to apply the tools for whatever they're getting better at. If you look at what's going on in America right now, and I'm sure many of you listening right now are having to deal with more social issues on your team. You know, whether it's whether it's stuff happening with the president, whether it's stuff happening in the cities, whether it's stuff between, you know, black and white or Hispanic or Asian, all these different things that we have going on in our country right now. And it, what's the power of functional humility to take a step back and say, maybe your experience isn't like mine. Maybe your experience of the world is different than my experience of the world. And maybe the way you're acting right now, the way you're behaving right now, the attitude that you have, that the habits that you have, the behavior you're engaging in are coming from something that you have experienced in the world that has impacted you in a certain way that's now causing you to act this way. Now, if we're not acting effectively, if we are causing problems or if we are you know, helping people, we're still owners, owners of our behavior. We're still responsible for our actions, regardless of the experiences that we come from. But what a better thing to start from a place of functional humility to help setting, to start setting an objective standard for how we're going to operate as a team. If we could just bring a little humility back and say, man, maybe you grew up without parents. Maybe your parents getting divorced affected you. Maybe, maybe the fact that, that, you had money or you didn't have money, you know, some touching on some of these themes you and I talked about over the course of, of this, this leadership journey. Um, these things affect us. And so I think functional humility can help you say, Hey, let me bring some things to the table here. May or may not be the best approach, but what can we decide on one that works for us? And whatever one we pick functional humility guides, how we execute it. You know, Keith, you and I, go head to head 
Uh, we're on a staff. We go head to head for the game plan. You know, we're we're both we're both on the offensive staff, and I think we should do you know game plan A. You think we should do game plan B? You know, we're in the we're in the the meeting room, and then uh, you know we put our best case forward, and then the coordinator, the head coach, says, "All right, we're going to go with uh, we're going to go with game plan B, which was yours." And I'm not happy because I don't think that one's going to be successful. Okay, but we're going with game plan B. If I'm a if I'm a, a an average coach and I fight hard for game plan A, but we choose game plan B, which is yours, not only does my ego get dinged, but now I also think I'm right because I don't think game plan B was going to work. What's a potential threat for me going forward and executing that week for how I coach, how I install, and how effectively I lead game plan B? What what's what might happen right there? Well, you're certainly bringing some biases to the table there in your approach. Um, you're going to be skeptical all week long. It's going to reflect in your teaching and coaching. Uh, it'll come out. It's not good to move forward that way. There you go. And right there, it's just an absence of humility. It's just an absence of humility because as soon as game plan B was chosen, what's the only game plan you're going to execute? What's the only one? Game plan B. Correct. What's the fastest way to success? executing the game plan we've chosen at the best of our ability. And I talked about this about players and I talk with this to coaches as well, because you see this happen too often. If you take, if you take a decision and let's say for the sake of this discussion, let's say game plan B is in fact an inferior game plan. Okay. Let's say it's an inferior game plan because that happens. Okay. It happens. If you have an inferior approach that has been decided upon and then you take that inferior approach and you add your disruption to it. You now have an inferior approach that has sloppy execution on top of it. What happens to your chance of success? Very small. So even if you have an inferior approach, what is the best chance of that thing winning? We got to execute it. Got to execute it. Yep. Have to. Have to. So whether it's for players or for coaches, and I'll tell you this, head coaches, same thing. Head coaches with, with the, with the, with the uh, uh, position that administrations put you in to, to win or to lose, the resources that they give you, I will tell you this from the bottom of my heart. I don't care what position they've put you in. Once the decision has been made, the lines have been drawn, the budgets have been given, et cetera, you've got the tools and resources that you're given. If you can change it, change it. Get what you can. After that, put humility on and go execute. Put humility on and go execute. And rather than saying, I don't have this and I don't have this, I would, I would encourage you, take an approach. I'm just going to guess here. I have no idea. Take an approach like what I'm going to guess Matt Campbell does. And he's going to say, get the most resources I can at a program like Iowa State out in Ames, Iowa. I'm going to guess they don't have the same thing that Texas has or the same thing TCU has or the same thing that Oklahoma has, but he's going to say, let's get what we can. And once we've got what we can, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out and we're going to execute like hell. That's what we're going to go do. And we are going to be the best possible team that we can be. And there will be zero excuses because you are responsible for closing the gap between where you are and where you could be. You're not responsible, Right. You're not responsible for who you are today. You're responsible for who you become over the course of this day and the days that are coming down the line. That's who you're responsible for. Functional humility says close that gap. Close that gap. And the best way to be disciplined every day 
is to be disciplined right now. Functional humility puts you in that position. And that's the difference. That's the difference, Keith, between ego and confidence. Ego is about protection. Ego is about looking good. What I'm interested in and what I'd like people to act with is confidence. You can, you can have a, a level two out of 10 skill, but go and act with confidence. That's all good because you're going to be the best version of you. You're going to be the best that you can possibly be given who you are. Go be that person. And look what can happen. If you can shut down ego, if you can turn on confidence and humility, look what you've done. You've taken confidence plus humility, and you've created a rare combination that few people ever really work on building. Confidence plus humility, that's an elite combination of skills. Now, the hard part is you've got to shut, shut down ego, and you've got to leave that behind. And I think that's how you marry the principle with the practice. That's how, you, that's how you integrate the concept into the concrete is you believe in functional humility and you act with total confidence while leaving ego behind. And that has you, that's what allows you to do things like working hard without getting the payoff. That's what allows you to compete even when you're losing. That's what allows you to do the work even when you're unsure when you're going to get that reward, that's really the trick is to go work really hard, not knowing when that payoff is going to show up. And, and it's just something that few people are willing to do. Uh, especially I think where adults struggle with that is as you get into that 30, 35, 40, 45, 50 year old window, you know, we just, we don't want to do work and practice new things and look foolish, especially if we're in a position of leadership. And that's sometimes just what it takes. You, you, you got to go do work and, and it's going to require you to not look good. It's going to require you to look, uh, uh, make mistakes. It's going to require you to do things that other people criticize. And that's what the elite do. They wear that humility on them and, and they don't worry about the criticism because they are confident in the discipline of right now and where that discipline is taking them tomorrow. And the best part about it, Brian, is, is that something that you can do right now immediately and and for coaches out there they're all in a different place right now we have those guys who have, have put the equipment away and have have to uh do some some uh soul searching for how they get things turned around in, in 2018 and we got those other programs out there looking for five more big wins to to reach the pinnacle of you know and and accomplish their goals that they set back probably in 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 uh december or january um beginning of the year so it's 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 something you can do right now though you can take that approach where you look at things and you use that like you said the functional humility uh, to help make yourself better to help things right now to help things this week absolutely it, it's uh you can engage in it any moment that you want and i will tell you this if you have confidence if you have confidence real confidence humility ought not to be a problem because people who lack confidence have to hide their mistakes. People who lack confidence have to serve their ego. They can't be seen or viewed as weak. They have to, they have to pretend like they haven't made mistakes. They have to put other people down. They have to, they have to uh, um, protect themselves. And, and it's just the surest sign that somebody does not have confidence is, is when they lack humility and serve the ego. And so what I would tell you is to step into confidence Put your hand up and say, I'm not good at this, 
or I could be better at that and I'm going to get better at that. Sit down in that learner's chair, sit down in the getting coached chair, let somebody point out where you could be better and where you have gaps and then go work like hell to get better at those things. Model that, watch what happens on your staff, watch what happens on your team and watch what happens over the next two to three years inside your program. BK, some great stuff there today on humility. Next week, we're going to be speaking about simplicity. Just give us a a quick sneak peek of some of those ideas we might cover. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really straightforward. Complexity is the enemy of execution. So in a complex world, simplicity wins. It's probably the hardest thing to do in life, in my opinion, is to do simple things with elite discipline So we're going to talk about how to do that. Yeah, we definitely can screw things up with complexity. So I I look forward to that topic and uh, hearing more about some of those ideas. BK, how can our listeners uh, connect with you here? Reach out and connect with me on Instagram at tbriankite. That's K-I-G-H-T. Really cranking up the content out there. Well, I look forward to next week's talk, and I'm really excited about all the things we have uh, moving forward and the things that we can uh, you know, give to our coaches to help them, uh, some of the great tools that we've mentioned here. So uh, we'll be sharing more of those with you as we go through and, and finish up the 2017 season and, and that leadership journey, but there's going to be definitely going to be much more for our coaches out there. For all those guys that are still playing, good luck and get after them. <laughs>